Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc slash soap. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you for this time, Lord God. I want to thank you for your word, Father, that is that is remains true, remains steadfast, remains concrete, remains a foundation that we can stand on, Lord God. Father, I pray, Lord, that during this time, Lord, it'll be your words that are heard, that, that, but not mine, Lord, and then be, I would fade to the background and you would be at the forefront of what you want to tell your children this morning. We thank you for everything that you're doing in each and every one of our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. So Genesis 16, and I am reading from the New King James Version. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, see now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt hardly, harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Ber Lahoi Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Amen. 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 All right. So there's a whole lot that's going on in this chapter, and we're really going to see um, the beginning of the consequences of, of what happens when, when we walk outside of God's promise. You know, when God promises something, God says something, and we say to ourselves, we say, self, I think God needs my help. 
I think that this isn't going to happen unless I step in and make a way. So it says uh, in, in verse one, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Many years before this, God had promised Abram that he would have many descendants. In Genesis 12, verse two, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. But up to, up to this point, he had had no children with Sarai. You know, but she had a, a, an Egyptian maidservant, and and this 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 uh, servant, she was probably um, one of the the gifts that Abram received from Pharaoh, when um, when Pharaoh dismissed him and Sarai out of Egypt. Um, but she says, "The Lord has restrained me from bearing children." See, Sarai understood that God was sovereign over everything, including the womb. And he had promised descendants to Abram and Sarai. And, but, they, but after many years, they hadn't had any children. So there was a lot of pain in her words, you know, and saying, the Lord has restrained me from having children. There's the pain of, of, of hope, of, uh, you know, and the pain of, of, of prayers that hadn't been answered. And there was the pain of arms that hadn't yet held a child. You know, there was a pain of public shame because if you couldn't bear a, ch a child, you know, especially a son for your husband in those ancient days, there was a sense of shame that would come upon you. You know, and, and um, you know, the pain of, of blaming God for your problems, but, but you know, and, and so this led to her unbelief. You know, God had promised, but it hadn't happened. So she began to, 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 to not believe and unbelief is a sin unbelief is a sin and unbelief is also a sickness you know because then you start to do things you shouldn't be doing you know and and, and all that causes so much pain so she decides you know what abram you know we're gonna do what's essentially what we would call today you know we're gonna get, get a surrogate we're gonna get a surrogate mother you gonna go into my into my slave and 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 according to custom, you know that child would be considered the child of Abram and Sarai since Hagar was their servant, you know, and um it wouldn't be the necessarily the child of Abram and Hagar even though Hagar bears a child, you know, and that's the way it worked back then. So so Sarai in her mind could justify the sin. Because now, since technically speaking, it'll be my child, it's not a sin. And this will be the son of promise. And how often, brothers and sisters, do we formulate and concoct plans in our minds and, and we can make it make sense? We can justify what we're doing, how we're doing it, even though it goes directly against the word of God. See, Abraham, um, you know, it's like Abraham, God promised that you would be the father of, of, of many nations. And, but he didn't specify my name, Abram. He never gave me the promise, but he said, you would be the father of many nations. So maybe if you're the father of many nations, but I'm not the mother of many nations. So, you know, he never said my name, you know, and, and so she, she just formulated and concocted this plan. But nevertheless, this was against God's will because it was, it's a sin of unbelief in God and his promises. 
Sarai believed in God's sovereignty over the womb, and then, then she acted on it. It was a sin against God's plan for marriage. Marriage, one man, one woman coming together in one flesh relationship. And it was a sin against Abram and, and Sarai's marriage. He, this, the surrogacy wasn't done in a doctor's office. The surrogacy was done in the bedroom. This, went against, this goes against God's command. And Abraham heeded Sarai, the voice of Sarai. See, Sarai wasn't the first woman to be tormented by the thought of, maybe my husband would be, would be better off with someone else. And it was bad to, for Sarai to hold on to that thought, but it was much worse for Abraham to heed the voice of Sarai on this matter. Abram, the spiritual head of the home, should have been wise enough to say, nah, baby girl, we ain't doing this. God promised us this, but this isn't the way that it's supposed to happen, you know? But Abram, you know, I don't know. He was a man, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Hagar was fine as wine. And he was like, okay, Sarai, twist my arm. I, I guess I'll go and, you know, do what I got to do with, you know, and, and I don't know. I don't know. But Abram should have been wise enough. Listen, men, we have godly wives and, and, and a godly uh, Christian wife has a lot of wisdom for her husband, you know, and many of us, we've learned the wisdom of and the value of listening to our wives, yet no wife is infallible, right? None of us are infallible. We all have flaws. We can all mess up. And Abraham was responsible for his sin of listening to the unwise, unbelief-based advice of his wife. Abraham, Abram, drop the ball. Abram should have responded like, Sarai, you're my wife, and I love you. We're going to do this together. We are going to wait for the promise of God together. But he didn't. So verse 3 says, Sarai, you know, he took, she took uh, Hagar, her maid, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And they each, so, that, so Abram and Sarai each acted according to their unbelief. It's easy for, you know, us to point the blame. What well, was Sarai's fault? No, it was Abram's fault. They each acted according to their unbelief. Now, it says, you know, to be, to be his wife. Now, he didn't actually marry Hagar, but he treated her as his wife in that moment. Now, it had been more than 10 years since the promise was made regarding Abram's descendants. And by most accounts, 10 years seems like a long time to wait for God's promise. You know, but Abram and Sarai were discouraged enough that they approached a problem of no children by, by leaving God out of the matter. It's almost as if they were like, you know, we're going to handle this. And then once it, you know, works out, we're going to say, hey, God, look what we did. You know, totally out of order. This is wrong for so many reasons because, you know, God is never out of the equation. Even when we mess up, even when we do things, you know, at, you know, behind his back as if we could do anything behind his back, he is still in the equation, you know, and, and men and women of faith, we must walk in faith, not in unbelief. It may be hard. You may be waiting for a promise of God, and you may have been, you may be, have been waiting for years and years and years. Remain faithful. 
All his promises are yes and amen. And we tend to forget that because we see everything that's happening around us except for what God has promised. But I'm going to tell you right now, brothers and sisters, if God promises it, you can bet everything that you have on that promise because it will come to pass. The long wait for the promise discouraged them and it made them vulnerable to acting in the flesh. Yet even after this, they've waited, waited, waited 10 years up to this moment. But it would still be another close to 13 years before Isaac would be born. That's over two decades of waiting for a promise. And right in the middle, they stumble and fall. But when we, when we, when we impatiently try to fulfill God's promise on our, in our own effort, it accomplishes nothing. And it may even prolong the time until the promise is fulfilled. We have to remain steadfast, brothers and sisters. So Hagar conceives and and. Abram certainly acted according to his own power and wisdom when he agreed to, to, to hook up with Hagar. And he did not trust in God's ability to provide an heir through Sarai. See, this wasn't a matter of romance. This was, uh, uh, according to some, this was duty. You know, we understand, we, you know, there's been there's similar circumstances in the Bible um, uh, where similar things have happened. You know, uh, in the case of Rachel uh, going to, and uh, giving Bil Bilhah to Jacob when Rachel was barren, you know. So Ab Abram's grandson, Jacob, had a wife who he loved, you know, and we'll read about that here in a, in a, in a couple of weeks. And she was unable to have a child, so she gave her servant to Jacob. So there are other circumstances, but at that point, Jacob... And Rachel didn't have a, a promise from the Lord. Abram and Sarai had a promise of the Lord of what, of what his descendants would be and how many they would be. And they acted, you know, they did not act according to the promise. And it says that she conceived, verse 4. And so from Sarai's perspective, a terrible thing had happened. Even though it was something that she encouraged and she pushed it, you know, you know, she, she, she realized after the fact, oh, man, I messed up. Hagar was now pregnant, and this, this, so this proved beyond all, beyond all shadow of a doubt that it was, it, it was going to be looked upon as it was Sarai's fault that they hadn't had a kid. So imagine that shame. I was no, uh, we weren't able to have kids, and now I know beyond a shadow of a doubt it's my fault. And in a culture that so highly valued childbearing, mothering the child of a wealthy and influential man like Abram, it would give the servant girl like Hagar some status. So now Hagar, a lowly servant, but she's pregnant with the master's kid. So she's going to be elevated. And so, so you know, so it, it, would, it would appear that she was more blessed than Sarai. Now, it's not necessarily true. By all appearances and by the customs of the day and the way we know that people talk, okay? We may be, it may be 2022, but since the beginning of time, people talk, right? People gossip, you know what I'm saying? And I don't care what, what you know, thousands of years ago, ancient Israel, ancient times, they still talk gossip. And so I'm sure Sarai felt it in around her people, people speaking. 
But you see, results are not enough to justify what we do before God. Results are not enough. It's not right to say, well, they got a baby out of it. It must have been God's will. No, that doesn't mean that's within God's will. John 6, 63 says the flesh profits nothing. The flesh profits nothing, but it can produce something. Doing things in the flesh may get results, but we may be sorry for them afterwards. Verse 5 says, my wrong be upon you. So Sarai so, so blamed the whole situation on Abram and for good cause. Because again, men, we listen to the godly advice of our wives, but it's us to, uh, us, up to us excuse me, to act on that. Abram should have said, no, we're not going to do this. But he was quick to jump at the chance to do the wrong. Abram should have acted as the spiritual leader and told his wife that God was able to perform what he promised. They didn't, and they didn't need to, to try to perform God's promise by disobeying him and relying on, his, on their own strength and wisdom. She says, I became despised in her eyes. Hagar's contempt for Sarai started the problem. She couldn't resist displaying an, 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 an inappropriate arrogance. Once she got pregnant, you know, Hagar was probably walking around, rubbing her belly all the time. Every time she saw Sarai and I'm like, whoo, I feel that I felt that kick, you know, rubbing it in her face. Thinking that her pregnancy made her better than Sarai. So then Sarai gets upset and and goes to Abram and Abram says, you know what? That's your maid. You do with her as you please. Almost as if Abraham somewhere deep down knew that this child would not be the child of promise. Even though he acted in sin, he was willing to say, you do with her as you please. Because if you're a servant, you have no rights. It's not like later on with the, when the law is given that now servants had rights and you couldn't just kill servants for whatever you wanted. You know, you know, you, servants had no rights. So Abram made a bad situation worse by turning, the, 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 turning it over to Sarai, you know, and, and not taking the care of the child that he was a father to. And, and so, so it was a very, very complicated, very terrible situation, a difficult family situation, you know, and, and this all came about because of disobedience. It came about because of disobedience and by unbelief. So, so Sarai cruelly collided with Hagar's pride. And all Hagar could do was to think was to run. So she ran. She runs into the desert and she comes to a spring of water. And, you know, and so uh, perhaps she was afraid of moving on or, you know, she, maybe she didn't want to leave the water supply, but she was hanging out by this water supply. And then the angel of the Lord met her. Now we understand that the angel of the Lord is is the physical manifest presence of jesus in the old testament every time we when you're reading the bible you know and and in the old testament especially and it says in the angel of the lord appeared the angel of the lord that is it is understood by theologians across the board that that is the physical presence of jesus christ in the old testament and this wasn't just a, 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 a voice or a spiritual like feeling. It was a physical presence. Uh, 
And she understood this to be God himself. See, when God, God you know, himself is physically present, it is the, again, it's the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And we understand this because in John 1, 18, it says, no one has seen God at any time. So no one has seen God at any time, God the Father, but God the Son we're seeing is present. And um, so if God physically appeared and spoke as one person to another in, in the Old Testament, we, we understand, again, this is, the, this is Jesus, you know, and, and the angel of the Lord would appear to Abram again in, in Genesis 22. We'll read about that next week. And Moses, he appears to him in Exodus 3 and Balaam in Numbers 22 and the, the, all of Israel collectively in Judges 2 and Gideon in Judges 6 and Samson's parents is in Judges 13, David in 2 Samuel 24, Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Jesus is all over the Old Testament. That's what I love about the Bible, all right? Because when it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and, and dwelt among us in, in, in the, the Gospel of John, okay? That's talking about Jesus, and Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. Please don't think that Jesus just appeared one day in the book of Matthew. <laughs> you know, he has been all through the Bible. But this is the first appearance in the Bible here. Because he didn't appear to Noah. He didn't appear to Adam, um, you know, the angel of the Lord. Now it says God walked with Adam in the garden, but that was pre-sin. But here's Jesus appearing before Hagar. And it's funny and interesting um, that the angel of the Lord, he's first appearing to a single mother with a pride problem. Single mother with an issue. Single mother who, who she was a, essentially a victim of a crime. She didn't ask for Abram. You know, she didn't seduce Abram. She was a servant girl. She was a victim of circumstance. And this is who, got, who Jesus appears to, right? And, and so, so, so this, make, this, this should make us amazed at God's love for the unlikely. You know, we should never forget that, that God delights in doing this, appearing before the people and coming to the aid of, of those who, by all accounts, don't deserve it. But he is still faithful. Then he says, where have you come from and where are you going? He asks an important couple of questions. Where have you come from and where are you going? See, and, and, and Hagar's pride and, and misery, she, she acted without thinking. But, but listen, remembering these two questions could get us out of a lot of trouble. Where are you coming from and where are you going? Brothers and sisters, where has God brought you from? And where is God taking you? That's something only you can answer. But it's very important to remember that when you feel like you need to, to quit, when you feel like I can't do this no more, when you feel like, ah, this whole church thing and being involved with the body of Christ, ah, this isn't for me. I can't do this. It's too tough. Where have you come from? Where are you going? Where has God brought you from and where is he taking you to? That is the question, you know, you, you should ask yourself. And, and Hagar probably thought, I came from a, a, a terrible place. I'm going nowhere. But, but the angel of the Lord said, I got a plan for you. Verse 9, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. 
He told her to repent because she was only in this situation because of her pride. Now, I don't know if she, if when she, if she had gotten pregnant and she remained humble and she wasn't lording it over Sarai and she wasn't going to the other servant girls and like, look, I got pregnant and Sarai can't, maybe if she didn't do that, maybe the circumstances would have been a little bit different. I don't know. Okay. I ain't God. I can't figure that out. But here, you know, Jesus is telling her to repent. And if she changed her direction, there was, he was going to give her an, an inherent promise, obey me and I will protect you. And then he gives her a promise. I will multiply your descendants exceedingly. He not only promised protection, he offered, uh, a, he offered a, a clear uh, blessing. What was going to happen? I will multiply your descendants. The unborn son of Hagar would be the father of uncountable descendants. As the promise was fulfilled, Ishmael became, he became the ancestor of the Arab people. Just as his half-brother Isaac became the ancestor of all the Jewish people. So this makes that conflict between Ab the, the Arabs and the Jews even more tragic. Because they're brothers. They're family. They have the same father. And she said, he said, you shall call his name Ishmael. He was given a great promise because, you know, not, not only in the number of his descendants, but also in the fact that he's the first one in the Bible who was given a name before he was born. See, we're going to read about Abram and God changes his name to Abraham here in a little bit. And Sarai changes her name to Sarah. That's after they've, they've, they've been alive. But this is the first person in the Bible before they're born is given a name. See, God already had a plan for this boy and his descendants. And he doesn't give a name to someone he doesn't have a plan for. See, many Christians today think that God's plan for, for, for Ishmael's descendants, the Arabs, you know, they, they think that God wants to wipe them out because of their hatred of the Jews and their persecution of Christians. But that, that reaction is not rooted in the Bible. Because God could have allowed Hagar to die in the wilderness, but he didn't allow it. He specifically intervened so that she would not die. God could have allowed Hagar to, to live but disappear from the house, household of, of Abram and Sarai, but he didn't allow it. We can argue that, you know, Ishmael's conception was because of sin and unbelief, and God could have erased him from history, but he didn't. God specifically commanded Hagar to go back to Abram and Sarai so we can know that God's story for the Arab people is not finished. It is not finished. Ishmael means God will hear. So we can take this as, as prompting to pray for revival, pray for spiritual awakening among the Arab people. Because when they cry out to Jesus, God will hear. Come on. That is something that we should be holding on to. Listen, I've been to the Middle East. Many, many times, you know, and I've, and I've interacted with a lot of Arab people and not all of them hate us, right? Not all of them hate, hate us, but they don't believe in the same God the way we believe in God. We need to pray for a revival. We need to pray for, for a spiritual awakening to happen among the people. Verse 12, he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. The life of, of Ishmael, uh, it was not going to be an easy life, but God will still look over him and sustain him. 
And, the, and then we see the effects of this mostly in the violence among the Arabs themselves. They, you know, they kill themselves more than they kill Jews and Christians. You know, so there's constant conflict, you know, between different sects and beliefs and tribes and all this stuff, but they're all descendants of Ishmael. But she says, you are the God who sees. In verse 13, Hagar knew that this wasn't just an angel that appeared before, before her. You know, the angel of the Lord was also the God who sees. The same one watching Hagar would watch over her son, Ishmael. After, after meeting, you know, it's, it's, it's El Roy, which means the God who sees. Hagar knew that if God could be with her in the wilderness, he would be with her having to submit to Sarai also. It's as if Hagar said, you have looked upon me and now I can look upon you. And this, this, the, 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 that face-to-face -face relationship with God transformed her, made her change her whole outlook. So apparently she, you know, it says, hey, so Hagar bore Abram a son. So apparently she returned, she submitted to her masters and, and she told this, this story to Abram and Sarai and Abram named the child Ishmael, just as the angel of the Lord instructed her. Hagar thought her, her, her circumstances, excuse me, circumstances needed transformation, but in fact, she needed transformation. So if we seek to change our circumstances, we will sometimes jump from the frying pan right into the fire. We will mess up. We will get, our situation will get even worse and worse and worse, but we must be able to stand right where we are. It's not a change of climate we need, it's a change of heart. So a lot of people I've, I've known within Fusion Church who feel like I need to change my circumstances. I need to leave. I need to go to a, a different state. I got to, you know, no, your heart needs to be changed because your problems are still going to be there wherever you go. Sarai leaving didn't change her circumstances, but her heart changed her circumstances. See, our flesh, the flesh wants to run away, but God wants to demonstrate his power exactly where, where we have known our greatest failure. God wants to show what he can do. Christians today, have we have an even uh, more clear and wonderful promise of this than Hagar even had. Jesus promised us in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Come on, that's a promise from Jesus. So if you have to, to submit in difficult situation, God sees. If you ache under the pain, for those of us in ministry, ministry is tough, but God sees. If you just feel like, 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 you know, running away, God sees. God has met you. He has sent Jesus to us, and he gives us a new hope. This word today is telling us, that we serve a God who will hear and a God who sees. No matter your circumstances, he sees it and he hears it. And if we remain obedient, if we remain steadfast on his promise, and we don't look to the right or the left, we keep our focus on him. Pop's always saying, keep your focus, keep your focus, keep your focus on the Lord. Hold on to his promise. promises. If he's made a promise to you, it will come to pass. And hey, you know, Listen, this ain't biblical. This is the gospel according to Jason. But I'm going to tell you right now, sometimes you have to say, hey, God, hey, you said, you said, you promised. You gave me a word. 
And your Bible says your promises are in. All your promises are yes and amen. And it's not that you're, nest, you're, not, you're not reminding God, but you're reminding yourself. Because it's easy to lose focus. It's easy to get wrapped up on what's going on around us. You know, but we have to remain focused on, on God. And when God knows that you, you have been listening to him and when you're ready, he will make it happen. Listen, I got to go because I'm about, Doug, I'm about to start preaching, you know, and whoo, yeah, I'm about to, I'm about to get worked up. You know, people got to go to work. Listen, we serve a God who sees, we serve a God who hears. He sees what you're going through. He sees your pain. He sees your circumstances. And when we cry out to him, he hears us. That is the promise of Genesis 16. All this story about Hagar and Ishmael, the promises, the promise is that we serve a God who sees and we serve a God who hears. And that's something you can take to the bank. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord God, and we thank you. We thank you. We thank you that despite our circumstances, even those times when we're at our darkest spot and we feel completely alone we know because of your word that you are a god who sees us and you are a god who hears us and we can rely on that promise lord so thank you father for that lord i pray father that that throughout the this day this week father that this word was would stir in our hearts when we get discouraged when we get downtrodden when we just don't see any hope we can remember you see us you hear us father and you're always present with us so father thank you for what you're doing in our lives be with each and every one of my brothers and sisters who's here on this call those who are going to listen to listen to it later on listen to the podcast later on i'll just be with them father keep them and guide them lord god and remind them lord that your presence is real and you are right there wherever they're at thank you father for what you're doing we praise you in jesus name amen amen amen